It's the day before an election, though we live in a time when the actual voting is stretched out over several weeks. But today is the last day before the votes get counted and we prepare for any changes that may occur. Charlottesville Community Engagement seeks to document whatever happens and to get ready for all of the additions that have yet to be written. I'm Sean Tubbs because I'm contractually obligated to be. On today's program, the Charlottesville Area Association of Realtors reports that the trend of lower volumes of home sales continues, but so does the trend of higher sales prices. The University of Virginia is seeking firms who want to help study the future of two sites it owns in Fifeville, as well as the eventual fit-out of the UVA Hospital's South Tower. And the Charlottesville City Council will hold a public hearing on the development code on December 5th and will consider much of what the Planning Commission recommended in their approval. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, Albemarle County and the city of Charlottesville are connected to the legacy of the Lewis and Clark Virginia story providing an opportunity for further collaboration with local community partners to add and benefit tourism in our community. To explain more, the Albemarle Charlottesville Historical Society are hosting a presentation on Tuesday at 6 p.m. at the Center at Belvedere on the Virginia Lewis and Clark Legacy Trail. Several board members will provide a brief history of the trail project, the why and how for its development, and a review of documented historic sites and recent discoveries along the trail. The presentation will explain the trail's new program, conducted in partnership with the Virginia Department of Historic Resources and Department of Transportation, resulting in new signage installed on existing state historical markers throughout Virginia and in our local area. RSVP in advance to attend in person. There's a link in the newsletter. And if you can't make it, the event will be streamed live on Facebook Live. The Charlottesville Area Association of Realtors has released its report on the real estate market for the third quarter of 2023, and a trend of lower volumes continues. Here's a section from the executive summary. Sales activity remained slow in the car region. There were 980 homes sold in the car market during the third quarter, 226 fewer sales than a year ago, reflecting a 19% drop. That figure is down from 1,460 sales in the third quarter of 2020. Meanwhile, the median sales price continues to climb with a 9% year-to-year increase to 440000 per home. There were fewer homes on the market with an 11% decrease from the third quarter of 2022. Tight inventory conditions are driving up home prices as buyers compete for a limited number of homes on the market. Statewide, the median sales price in the third quarter of 2023 was $395,000, which rose 5% from a year ago. The median sales price for new construction continues to increase. The average price in the third quarter of 2019 was $403,350, and that has increased to $510,494 in this latest period. The report notes that building permits are down across the region with 840 issued across the car footprint, down from 1,247 in the previous third quarter. 
The report also notes that interest rates are at their highest level since 2000, with the average rate of 7.63% for a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage as of the third week of October. Sales were down in all localities in the car footprint. The draft master plan for the University of Virginia calls for the redevelopment of its properties in the Fifeville neighborhood south of the railroad track. Now the state institution has issued a request for qualifications for a firm to conduct a study to prepare for the future. Here's a section from that request for proposals. The purpose of the planning study is to assess potential program uses of the sites to support UVA health and the community and explore potential density, access, and related impacts. UVA paid nearly eight and three quarter million dollars in August 2016 to buy 2.63 acres of land on Grove Street and King Street. Now the RFQ divides the land into two sites, both of which are designated as redevelopment zones in the 2023 Grounds Framework Plan. Redevelopment zones provide for potential growth and were designated based on their location, size, and potential opportunities to contribute to the university at large. Since these sites are on the southern edge of grounds, an important aspect of this planning study will be neighborhood engagement with the FIFO community early in the process of developing the study. Uses suggested for the future include neighborhood clinics, child care, housing, community uses, and parking. The RFQ does not include the recently purchased Oaklawn property, which UVA bought for $3.5 million in October. Responses from firms are due on November 27th, with a final proposal due to UVA by January 22nd, 2024. Meanwhile, UVA has also issued a second request for qualifications for a firm to plan for the eventual occupation of the top three floors in the UVA hospital's South Tower. Here's a section from that notice. Completed in 2020, the new 440,000 square foot bed tower includes 84 private patient rooms with the capacity to accommodate 84 additional beds in the future. Both of these notices can be found on the UVA facilities management page. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out, one Patreon supporter wants you to know that Charlottesville now has an e-bike lending library. E-bikes are a great way to get around the community, but there are many brands and styles to choose from. Because many e-bikes are sold online, it can be a challenge to try an e-bike before buying one. The Charlottesville e-bike lending library is a free, not-for-profit service working to expand access to e-bikes in the area. They have a small collection of e-bikes that they lend out to community members for up to a week for free. You can experience your daily commute, go grocery shopping, or even bike your kids to school and decide whether e-bikes are right for you. Check out the service at ebikelibrarycville.org. A machine to stop time has either not been invented or I am not in possession of such a device. As such, I'm a little behind on my attempt to create a thorough accounting of the creation of a new zoning code for Charlottesville. As you know, that's the third step in the Seville Plans Together initiative. 
Council's fourth work session on this topic was held on October 25, 2023, and was not intended to be an exhaustive discussion of what will be in the final product. Here is Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook. The goal of the work session is for us to decide on the Charlottesville Development Code text and map, which the council will advertise for public hearing. Council has set that public hearing for December 5th. The legal advertisement will include the two new districts created to fulfill the comprehensive plan goal of providing some protection from speculative development for certain areas of the city that are known in the future land use map as sensitive communities. Council may decide not to proceed with those two districts after their deliberations, but that information will be included in the legal notice to satisfy Virginia law on public hearing requirements. We're going to err on the side of inclusivity of provisions, and that does not mean that merely because we're adding it in or because we're agreeing to, to put a particular provision in, that that reflects Council's decision that we've got, we know where the five votes are. The Planning Commission recommended its version of the Development Code on October 18th. The public hearing from September 18th did not include those districts, one of which is called Residential Core Neighborhood A. Here is James Fries, the city's Director of Neighborhood Development Services. It identifies a set of core neighborhoods that have served as a, uh, as a location for workforce housing, uh, historically, and there's a desire to see that, uh, that the, the, the community provide that uh, use going forward. In the draft that went before the Planning Commission, the least permissive zoning district was the Residential A neighborhood, which allows property owners up to three units as a base. Under the RNA district, that would be restricted to one unit with two additional units, allowed only if the existing structure is kept. The idea there is to create the opportunity in the space for accessory dwelling units. The RNA district would uh, have um, allow up to six units where all of the bonus units are affordable, 60% of AMI. Fries said these RNA areas would also not allow as much building footprint as residential A. The second district is called a core neighborhoods overlay district and would require developers on portions of Cherry Avenue and Preston Avenue to get a special exception permit if they wanted the same amount of building space allowed in similar areas elsewhere. The underlying premise of that district is that the starting point is that we lower the proposed uh, density to the CX3 for those corridors mm -hmm. and then apply the overlay. Mm -hmm. If you want additional stories, you have to provide uh, up to or two, a minimum of two of the items on this right. community benefit list. Vice Mayor Juan Diego Wade said he understood that both are seen as temporary measures, while small area plans are conducted to further gauge community expectations. And I understand that we can't say, okay, let's just kind of put things on pause until we do the study because things will continue to roll. Council opted to advertise just the text for those districts and not the map. That would allow for maximum flexibility. Council also went through the various changes that the Planning Commission recommended to see if they wanted to proceed with them. First, they discussed map changes. Councilor Michael Payne expressed concern about increasing intensity in the Venable neighborhood, as well as other areas, recommended to be increased from Node Mixed Use 5 to Node Mixed Use 10, but said he was comfortable advertising those changes. 
Others were fine to go with what the six appointed planning commissioners had recommended. I can say I don't know of anything that I would want to do that would increase the intensity of the use over what the planning commission recommended. Council also agreed to advertise changes that the planning commission recommended, such as allowing commercial uses by right on corner lots in residential B and residential C districts. That doesn't mean that council has agreed to support that in the final zoning code. Under the new zoning, building sizes will be set by standards, and it will ultimately be up to the zoning administrator to sign off on what's proposed. That includes granting additional height if affordable housing units are provided. Neighbors would not have a say in that process, but would not entirely be without a voice. Here is Sharon Pandak, an outside counsel hired to assist city council with the vote. If the neighbor believes that the zoning administrator has not properly applied the ordinance by granting the additional stories, then the neighbor could conceivably, if they can demonstrate their grief party, appeal it to the board of zoning. Appeals. The council had a more in-depth discussion of those two overlay districts at their meeting on November 1st. That will be next in this series. When will that one be published? Good question. We are at the end of number 597. In a perfect world, there's one of these newsletters posted each day because there's enough information to get to. However, at this moment in time, it's just me to get all of the writing done, as well as running all of the management aspects required to keep Town Crier Productions going. That's going to change in the future, and the audio version today once again features a soundbite from Jen Finazzo, who earns a shout-out for Fiori Floral Studio. Unfortunately, there's no copy editor for this one. Go spot the mistakes. I'm hoping to get another edition out tomorrow, but if I don't, you can get a production update on my Substack Notes page. Substack is a great platform for independent writers like me, and paid subscriptions are always welcome. And if you do, Ting will match your initial subscription as part of a unique sponsorship agreement. I am grateful to Ting for their support of my style of community journalism. Details in the newsletter, and goodbye for now.